Hi, and welcome to the Time for the Good News podcast, the place where you'll hear nothing but good news. We are your hosts, Susan and Dan Grantfield. Welcome to season three of Time for the Good News, our third season. It is indeed. And I would like to say to you all, Happy New Year mm-hmm. from wherever you might be listening. So we've now got listeners from all four corners of the globe, to be honest, haven't we? We have, we have, yeah. Yeah, so it's our third year of podcasting. That's it. So hence why we're in season three. Um, and yeah, I guess a big thank you to all of our returning listeners. So you're really the reason why we're still here doing this, because um, we know that you really enjoy us pointing you towards the good news stories that are, are out there. Um, and I guess thank you to our new listeners who are mm. maybe just joining us for the first time. Well done for joining the revolution. Good news. <laughs> the good news revolution. So you're joining us here on the bright side of life, um, you know, where we're trying to just create a bit more balance and, and let everyone know that there's good stuff happening in the world as well as all the stuff that sounds pretty negative. Absolutely. Um, and just as before we kind of launch into our first story, I came across a, a, um, a research article and there was a, an interesting insight into it, which I think, or sorry, an insight that came from it, which I think really helps to point towards why this podcast and the other podcasts out there that are about good news stories are just so important. Um, so this piece of research that was published in the PNAS journal, so it's a multidisciplinary peer-reviewed journal, and it was looking at the negativity bias in the news. Now, we've talked about that before. Mm. Um, and, you know, bad news sells, which is why we get more of it. Mm. But also as human beings, we have a bit of a, a, a natural negativity bias. We tend to pay more attention to negative things, part of our evolutionary um, sort of survival instinct. But what this article said, which actually when I read it, I was like, oh, that seems really obvious. In some ways, we as the consumers of news are perpetuating the bad news because it's supply and demand, isn't it? So we're paying more attention to it. We buy the newspapers with the catastrophic headlines. We're just perpetuating it. So by listening to this podcast, everybody who's listening, um, and when you share it with other people, we're actually starting to address that balance Mm -hmm. and create a new type of demand. Well, it's well known that our, our tabloid newspapers, what are called red tops, like the Mirror and the Sun and stuff, it's well known that they use extreme weather headlines and they sell tens of thousands of more copies. Yeah. If it says something like Siberian winter yes. on the way. Yeah. Now, we've been having these headlines for years and we've not had a Siberian winter yet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, they are, um, negativity does sell, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But interestingly, um, so in, in the UK, the BBC Radio 2, just before um, the turn of the year, so the end of December, um, they devoted a whole hour, I mean, only an hour, but a whole hour to nothing but good news stories. So maybe the balance is starting to tip good in stuff, the favour yeah. of a little bit more um, good news. So do you want to kick off, Dan, with your absolutely, first story? Absolutely. Now, a lot of you know that um, I've got a thing about nuclear fusion because I do believe it's the future. And I want to thank Stella, one of our listeners, for uh, uh, flagging this story for yeah. me. She knows you like a mega boffin as well. Yeah, like mega boffins and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I believe Stella is based in North Carolina, so hello there. And I hope you enjoy this podcast. So I've reported about few, the nuclear fusion experiments. For the first time in history, they've made a net gain. So they've taken more, more energy has been produced than they've put in for the okay. reaction. So this is from across the pond in the United States. So Boffins at the US National Ignition Facility in California that I think I've mentioned before, Mm -hmm. the National Ignition Mm -hmm. Facility. 
have achieved what is called net gain. So they've produced more energy than put in. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Arati Prahabka, who's a major science boffin and policy director at the White House Office of Science and Technology, mm -hmm. is quoted as saying, last week, they shot a bunch of lasers at a pellet of fuel and more energy was released from that fusion ignition than the energy of the lasers going into it. Which is presumably the aim of the whole thing. It is the aim of the whole thing, yeah. Now, now re these reactions release no greenhouse ga gases or radio radioactivity unlike nuclear fission. Yes, yeah? yes. Where you split an atom. Mm -hmm. So a simple kilogram of fusion um, fuel made up of heavy forms of hydrogen called deuterium mm. and um, tritium provide as much energy as 10 million kilograms of fossil fuel. So what did you say, one kilogram to 10? Yeah, 10 million. million. My yeah. goodness. It's taken 70 years to reach, to reach this point of experiments and dreaming about it and things like that. Mm. So they fired 192 giant lasers into a centimetre long gold cylinder called a whole round. Mm. Now I'm presuming, I'm presuming whole round was a boffin from the past that the name the cylinder after. Oh, okay, right. Um, the energy hits a container to more than 3 million degrees Celsius. Yes. Yeah? Hotter than the surface of the sun. Mm. Now there's another subject there for me that I can't believe they were actually capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, heating something hotter than the surface of the sun. I mean, that's amazing in itself. Mm. And bakes a peppercorn-sized fuel pellet in x-rays. Yeah? The x-rays strip the surface off the pellet and trigger a rocket-like implosion, driving temperatures and pressures to extremes only seen inside stars. <laughs> yeah? Giant planets and nuclear detonations. Right. I mean, this is amazing stuff that human beings have actually done and yeah. doing in a laboratory. Mm. So the researchers pumped 2.05 megajoules of laser energy and got out 3.15 megajoules, which is a okay. 50% gain. Yeah. Yeah. There's still a few years to go because they're still using massive amounts of energy and it's the expense of it as well. Mm -hmm. It needs to come down in price to make it viable and things like that and and it viable towards domestic yeah energy yeah exactly yeah so yeah. there's this, this quite there's still a long way to go but mm -hmm. we've made the first steps is yeah. we've made a net gain yeah for nuclear fusion i don't know what you call a group of boffins maybe it's a barometer of boffins or something like that <laughs> i don't know but all these guys working away on nuclear fusion uh, fantastic stuff yeah because it is clean it is limitless mm. you know if we get it right mm -hmm. so Another 70 years, maybe we'll all be, yeah. everything around us will be powered by nuclear yeah. fusion. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. And it sounds to me, as a, as a kind of quite a non-scientific person, um, that it's a great example of where we're looking at nature and going, what does nature do? Yeah, yeah it's how, does, how does space. science yeah, work and, yeah. and how can we then bring that in and yeah. use it to We're looking at the, the space for yeah. this, for mm -hmm. these kind of extremes of temperature and... Mm -hmm and reactions and things like that. And again, it's just cool. Yeah. It's an amazing human achievement. It is. It's an amazing human achievement. Yeah. And the fact they got this far is pretty amazing. So keep going. Yeah. Nuclear boffin people. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah brilliant. Cool. Um, well, we will keep you updated on that because that is definitely one of your favorite topics, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. 
So I'm going to come in with my my first story, um, and I want to thank Vicky Ross, who um, is a, a colleague of mine, um, and she post she shared a story with me on LinkedIn in December, which took me down a path um, of of learning about something that I'd heard of but didn't know too much about. So thank you, Vicky, for thinking of me when you tagged me in this post. Um, so it was about an event in Birmingham in the UK related to donut the donut economics movement. Now, have right. you heard of donut economics? I've heard of donuts. I have yes. not heard of donut economics. Okay. It's not about eating lots of donuts. That's a shame. Um, so back in 2017, um, Kate Rayworth wrote a book called Donut Economics. And it's now an interna- international bestseller. It's been translated into 20 languages. And it's really started a movement around this concept of donut economics. Cool. So the thing that I love about it is it's both very visionary in terms of... 21st century thinking around the economy and the way the way we live, the way we interact with each other and with the planet. Um, but it's very much grounded in scientific evidence as well and, and offers strategies both at individual level and at government level. Um, so what, what is donut, donut economics? Um, so if you think about a donut, okay, a donut is a ring, a ring of what is it? A ring of not all donuts though. So oh, well, that's true. Okay. So it's a traditional donut yeah, with a yeah, hole in yeah. the middle. All right. So there's two rings. Think about the inner ring. So the inner part of the donut as being um, the societal foundation. So it's basically life's essentials. So there's a layer there around um, the essentials that we all need to live. So water, food, housing, education, work and income, peace and justice, equality. So some basic things that enable us all to, to live um, to a reasonable level. The outer edge of the donut, the, the second ring, is what's called ecolog- the ecological ceiling. So that's the planetary boundaries. Okay. okay. So yeah. things like the amount of air pollution that the planet can cope with, the ozone yeah. layer depletion, land conversion, biodiversity. Because the planet is self-sustaining and it, mm. and it does regenerate. But the problem is at the moment we're going beyond those planetary boundaries. Mm. So, so basically, donut economics is about us thinking about and living within that donut. Hmm. So if you go beyond the donut, beyond that outer ring, we're overshooting planetary boundaries, which is what we're doing right now, not sustainable. Hmm. But if we um, but if you think about the inner part of the um, of the donut, that's where we've got massive inequality and we've got people who are who are you know just not being not being able to live to a basic standard. Yeah, okay. So part a big part of it is about shifting mindset and the mindset mindset shift being from growth, you know, yeah. GDP growth, yeah. to thinking about this donut economics where we can create a better standard of living for people and do it within planetary boundaries. Right. Okay. And so what's what is, is it, it, it you know it's it's a movement, it's now about saying let's let's think differently from, from how we live as an individual, but also as governments, how we set policies, thinking about this donut economics hmm. Um, hmm. idea rather than just infinite growth because that's that's the word that's used a lot we talk about growth growth obsessed growth, with growth, growth, growth. Yeah. and yeah. it's just not possible companies are obsessed with it countries are obsessed with it yeah. governments are obsessed and people with it. are obsessed with it yeah. but there are many many far more people in the world who don't benefit from that growth who yeah. actually are negatively affected by the growth yeah um, so it very much focuses, donut economics focuses um, on the interdependency within the human race, but also with the planet. Um, and so the path that I went down when I when I looked at this event that happened in Birmingham, it started 
get me to look at donut economics and, and this movement. And there's stuff happening all over the world. And this is what I love about when we look at these stories for the podcast. There are things going on probably on our own doorsteps that we don't necessarily know about. So in November last year in Glasgow, my hometown, very close to where we live, there was a, a project, a, an event called um, the Community Portrait of Glasgow. These are going on all over the world where they're inviting people to come, communities to come together and talk about how can we thrive? How can we all thrive more in this community? So there's one in Glasgow and the outputs of that community event have fed into a project called the Gallant Event, um, sorry, the Gallant Project, which is Glasgow as a living lab accelerating novel transformation. Right. Yeah, 10.2 million pound five-year research project project done in partnership between Glasgow University and Glasgow City Council and basically what they're doing is they're going to trial new sustainable solutions throughout the city um you know with, with yeah, the funding yeah, they have yeah. as a whole systems approach so economy public health well-being it's a joined up approach basically yeah. yeah yeah okay that sounds good based on this shift in thinking it's not about growth it's yeah, about how yeah. we can all live sustainably so I just love it and I would really love for listeners to share with us examples of what's going on in your community go and look at donut economics if you look at deal donut economics um, action lab d-e-a-l online you can join that community find out what's going on um, and, and get involved so interesting so a bit like you're saying with the nuclear fusion and thinking what's the yeah, future yeah. The future isn't bleak. The future yeah, doesn't yeah, have yeah, to be yeah. doom and gloom. And we might be in a cost of living crisis, but there are ways out of it. Mm, and people mm. are working on those ways right now. Well, when you set off, I thought you were talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, saying, you know, the um, basics, the basic things that we require. And then so it sounded like the foundation of that to start with. Mm. But I now understand the, the boundary part of it is something that's really important. You know, yeah. what's wrong with having a business that just breaks even? Mm. you know that's that's the other thing isn't it we're yeah. obsessed with profit and building profit and things like that exactly but a business that serves its employees and its customers but still breaks even at the end mm. of the day mm. without somebody having to become hugely rich at the end of it yeah is a kind of similar business example of what you're talking about isn't it yeah so it's talking about the overshooting the planetary boundaries yeah. and the falling short of the basic yeah, societal yeah. foundation yeah. Yeah. so so it's about, yeah, it's about trying to trying to get us on an even yeah. keel, yeah. not the boom and bust, yeah, which yeah, yeah, you look yeah. back no, in that's history. Good. That's great, I like that. It's good. So, Sounds good. There we go. Donut economics. Brilliant. Good stuff. Well, this is interesting. So a British company has developed a tractor that can be run on cow dung. Cow dung. Cow dung. Okay. Cow poo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> Green, a bit smelly. Mm-hmm. So New Holland's brand new tractor runs on liquid methane. Methane that can be extracted from cow pies, it said in the article. Cow That's funny, pies. I think. Uh, pie works like desperate we... dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the 270 brake horsepower tractor is as good as its diesel counterparts. And it was developed by a company called Benjamin, who have been researching and developing biomethane production for over a decade. Now, you've heard the thing about cows farting and producing yes. huge amounts of methane and things mm-hmm. like that. So this is part of trying to harness that mm-hmm. natural energy that's produced by the animals eating grass and drinking water, etc. Yeah. <clears throat> so white waste byproducts from a herd as small as a hundred cows are turned into a fuel called fugitive methane. Fugitive methane. No, or would you send the FBI after it? <laughs> capture that methane. I've got Harrison Ford in there. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
So FusionMe then in a, in a bio um, storage unit based on the farm. So I'm already liking the idea of this because it's almost like a self-sustainable yeah. fuel source mm-hmm. for the farm's tractor mm-hmm. produced from the animals' waste products on the farm. Nice, yeah. yeah. So a cryogenic tank fitted on the tractor keeps the methane in liquid form at minus 162 degrees, um, giving the vehicle as much power as the, as the diesel tractor but with significant emission savings. There are still emissions, but a fraction of what mm-hmm. it was before. So it was tested in Cornwall and put through its paces where CO2 emissions were slashed from two and a half thousand metric tonnes in a year to 500 metric tonnes. So a significant yeah. uh, reduction, you know, 2,500 down to 500 is massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the T7 liquid methane filled tractor is a genuine world first and a step towards decarbonizing the global agriculture industry and helping a circular economy develop, yeah. said Chris Mann, um, who's probably some kind of fecal boffin, <laughs> uh, I guess, <laughs> something along those lines, or bio, probably to give it, it's probably some kind of biomethane boffin. Yeah, yeah, like yeah I think so. Um, so that was his quote about it anyway. But yeah. a fantastic, it's not just the use of cow dung to power a vehicle, it's the cow dung on the farm going into a storage unit on the farm, producing yes. the fuel for the tractor yeah. on the farm. There's no transport of anything else to the farm involved. Mm. It's almost complete. There's no other transport involved. You yeah. see what I mean? Yeah. It's the cows marching about, dropping, yes. dropping on the ground. However, it doesn't explain how who goes around who picking, it, picking all up it up. Yeah, there's a job for into the, the tank or what else has to happen. But fantastic yeah. example of ingenuity again. Yeah. Uh, and how we can use waste products yes. to do things that actually pay huge amounts of money for and damage the environment such as petrol or mm-hmm. diesel or it's that circular economy that that systems thinking is really what yeah. what i was just talking about and so many of our stories i feel really point to that it's like the solutions are there we, we we've got the resources we just need to mm. think about mm. using them in a more creative way Absolutely. and it's 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 it really, in simplistic terms, it comes down to less of that kind of throwaway culture mm. of, oh, I'm mm. done with that, I'm, you yeah. know, I'll get rid of it. Yeah. And how can we use these things? Yeah, yeah. But someone had to decide to do this. Yeah, yeah I, that's decide, the amazing you know, That's thing. the best thing about it, yeah. isn't it? Someone decided, well, I think we can use the cow's uh-huh. excrement to yeah. power a vehicle. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's go away and do that, shall we? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant that some people are willing to do know, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, well, I'm going to move on to the, this story, which is um, a bit of a, a kind of set change. But I, as people who've listened before know, I, I love the kind of human stories around people going out and doing things um, that just kind of bring a bit of joy to life. So this is a story um, about an anonymous street artist in France who is a bit of a kind of Banksy type of person. Um, so works incognito. Nobody knows who he is, although he does have an agent, so somebody knows who he is. Um, but what he's all about is filling in hazardous potholes with colourful mosaics. Oh, I think I read about it. Now, when you go online and look at this, they're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. They're like really eye-catching, really attractive, and they're filling in potholes. Hmm. So he's known as MMM, not M&M, M-M-M. So it's E-M-E-M-E-M. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't quite know how you say it, but that's... And he comes from Lyon. So there's about 100, sorry, 350 of these mosaics around Lyon and around Paris. But he's actually done quite a lot across Europe as well. So 
He claims to have done these um, mosaics in Norway, Iceland, Scotland, Germany, oh. Italy and Spain. So, listeners, if you look down when you're wandering about the streets, let us know if you've seen one. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to know where the, where where it is in Scotland. Yeah. Um. So anyway, he he um yeah. So he works incognito. He, he goes out there, you know, I don't know, under cover of darkness, and he describes his art as healing the street. Um. You know, so he's filling in potholes. Um. He's also described himself as a pavement surgeon or a pothole knight. Mm-hmm. Um. And he calls his creations. Um, flakings or flacking I think flakings is how you'd say it. it's a play on the word flack or flake um, which is a French with the French word for puddle so French people uh, you can okay. correct me yeah, yeah. Um, and he was inspired when he was he sat looking at a pothole that was just outside his workshop and he just thought how dreary and um, sort of destructive it looked and it just kind of talked about all the negative things in life and he wanted to bring a bit of brightness and joy into it um, so yeah, all that's really known about him is that his father was a tiler. So that's maybe where he got his okay, skill yeah. from. Um, he does have an agent and he's got 150,000 followers on Instagram. So he's well known in some ways and, and, and not well known in other ways, a bit like Banksy. Interesting. There is another guy, there's a guy called Jim Bancor, who has been doing something very similar in Chicago since 2013. Wow, interesting. Do you know, for me, there's an interesting kind of relation. Do you know uh, when people did create buildings and you know, also like Crossrail digging to down through London, finding Roman mosaics. Yes, yeah. it's almost like we've come full circle. Yeah. There's a guy filling in the 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 ground we're standing on with yes. mosaics instead of uncovering yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that was nice. So we'll, as many of you know, we have a, a website and a Facebook page. So we'll post pictures of the various um, and links to the various stories we've shared because certainly this one about the mosaics is much better done yeah. visually so yeah. um, have a look at that um, but I, that's all from us oh I did one quick story I wanted to throw in at the end go on then go on so then let's hear it this is good it's, it is good. it's good and very short so Ellis stores in Scunthorpe which Scunthorpe. is a, a town in yeah. England um, lost a thousand pounds worth of chocolate and sweets in the heat wave last year in the summer. So in the UK, well, around the world, but um, here in the UK we had unprecedented temperatures, and the AC failed, the air conditioning failed in their shop. So they had to get rid of a thousand pounds worth of their stock. Now, a twenty-four-year-old business, so can I just melt, lick it up, melt it? <laughs> well, that's what you would do. Um, so their daughter, do- the daughter of the couple that own Ellis Stores set about a crowd, crowdfunding campaign and raised £630 to replace their stock. Oh, cute. So it basically saved their 24-year-old business and they were able to keep trading on the on the corner of oh, the street. Wow, okay. Good stuff. So, how, did, how did she do that? I don't, it was a crowdfunding campaign. She just went online. She went, look, my, my parents' business is going to fail. Can you donate anything? And it, with crowdfunding, people can, you know, they can offer a pound or five pounds. Oh. Anyway, so oh, That's reminding me, very quickly, I saw a... a GoFundMe or a just giving to move a herd of elephants from Aspinall's Wildlife Park in Kent to rewild them back to Africa. Oh, wow. Okay. And I think it's at about a quarter of a million quid and they're, they're yes. trying to raise a million pounds because it costs a lot of money yes. to move yeah. 17 ele- elephants across the across the globe. Uh-huh. But that's another interesting crowdfunding yeah. type of uh, yeah. GoFundMe type thing. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. The world is full of amazing people doing amazing things. Absolutely, and that's what we're here to celebrate. It is, it is. So that is us for now. That's episode one of season um, three. 
done. Um, thank you as ever for listening. Please share your stories with us with a website um, which is www.timeforthegoodnews.co.uk. Facebook page, Susan and Dan's podcast, you can find us there. So you can subscribe to get new episodes straight into your inbox um, and you can connect with us on, on social media. Um, so thank you. Please feel free to share this episode and we will look forward to connecting with you again next time. And any other stories you want to send us, please do, because it really helps. Yes, thank you. Bye for now. Bye.